welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 21st of August 2013. Welcome along for another weekly AV Forums podcast. I'm Phil Hinton, editor of AV Forums, and joining me for this edition are AV Forums assistant editor Steve Withers. This stuff will make you a goddamn sexual tyrannosaurus just like me. Games editor Mark Botwright. I'm scared, Poncho. Audio reviewer Ed Selly. Get to the chopper! It's uh, Da Chopper, not The Chopper. Uh, no, it, no, no, it's not. Is it not? Actually, no. I, do you know what? I actually watched that segment just to make sure. The T-shirts and all the stickers and all the rest of it have changed it to Dia. And obviously, the uh, well-known band Austrian Death Machine have changed it to Get to Da Chopper as well. But it's the. And it's the in the script and it's the in the film. Oh, my I lo- God. I love I'm the denigrating fact. Arnie's acting skills here. Oh, <laughs> I'm, de- I'm impressed with your dedication. Yeah, there. I was just going to say, brilliant <laughs> research there, Ed. You actually went and watched the film, you know. No, no, I watched that, that like, momentary segment just to check it. <laughs> uh, right, so let's crack on with some hardware news, first of all. And uh, guess what? We're going to talk 4K. Yeah. Uh, right, so... <laughs> some, some <laughs> Tumbleweed noise. Yeah, tumbleweed noise. Hold back the excitement, Ed. Um, right, so first of all, plans for a 4K satellite broadcast system. Uh, this is news that KT Skylife in South Korea did a trial on Friday at the time of this recording. Uh, we're recording this on Monday. And uh, they used the new uh, high-efficiency video codec, uh, HVEC or HVEC or however you want to pronounce it. Um, and it seems to have gone well. Um, there didn't seem to be any third parties giving any kind of uh, feedback on how well this, this trial went. But they said it, it's working and it's going to open up to subscribers next year as a pilot and then full commercial system by 2015 and I guess uh, with the prices of TVs falling and we're going to come to this in a minute um, there might be a user base for this come 2015. Yeah I mean I'd like to think so um, I don't I mean it's not really uh, a major surprise I think quite a few satellite broadcasters have been testing uh, 4k broadcasting on a sky have a couple of the European ones and some of the US ones so um, you know it's certainly technically feasible uh, as they've shown um, with the new codec no problem at all um, they've got the bandwidth it's just a question of a having the um, installed, you know, user base, and obviously content. Content is king, I suppose. Yeah, on the subject of content, do we know? Obviously, it's very early days. We don't know much about it, but this sort of reminds me, in its own way. Do you remember years and years ago when HDTV started making their way into dealerships, and basically all we could show them at that point was the sort of Astra te- demo feed, which basically appeared to just show lots of fat German men in market squares, <laughs> or maybe maybe my memories a bit selective at that point but it was basically it was it was gorgeous but it wasn't exactly what you'd call gripping so, plot so driven was, entertainment so it was gorgeous fat german men is that what you're saying well you know that i mean obviously we all we all have our crosses to bear phil but it was it was it was a lovely feed it was a really nice demonstration of, of 1080 but there was nothing there was no actual content yeah. It was just a sort of rolling demo, basically. Yeah, well, it's kind I'm, of chicken and egg, isn't it? Really, you, you know, you kind of you want the content. People aren't going to buy the TVs unless there's content, but there's no incentive to create the content unless there's a TV, you know, um, user base installed. So, someone's going to have to make the first move. Oh no, I completely agree. I think this is absolutely vital, I and I don't want to denigrate it, but I'm, you know, just as in a in a sort of sense of trying to get a handle on what 
what we'd like to see is is it as much a sort of exercise in testing the hardware and basically letting a wider audience know that 4k exists in stores or are they seeking you and i to put our money where our mouths are and actually subscribe to this sort of thing obviously when it leaves south korea if it leaves south korea well uh, sky are, are running um their demonstrations they, they haven't gone public with it just yet i think they're still trying to back up the 3d mistake that they made um so they're kind of sticking with 3d for the time being and not really giving much away in terms of 4k uh, sony did wimbledon as a trial um sony uh, definitely getting their cameras out there at the right price points for professional users to start using them. Um, even our very own Steve Hill shot 4K uh, for one of his projects a few weeks back. Um, so, you know, the the technology's there, the equipment's there to do it. Um, it's just a case of who's going to make the first move. And well, it looks like um, Netflix are gearing up for 4K delivery. You've got uh, a number of satellite providers. You've got Red Ray or Red producing uh, downloads for the Red Ray player. Um, admittedly, that's only in the US. And Sony, of course, again, only in the US, are, um, are providing a download service. So, so there, there, it seems as though there is probably more content in the pipeline than perhaps we're giving it credit for, um, but, well, in the US at least. Um, well, I mean, you've got, so you, you got 100 years of content. Uh, well, if you're yeah, talking yeah. About I mean, five I mean, millimeter film and transferring that across, but this is another big stumbling block. Will the studios get behind it? Um, Sony Studios will because they're owned by stu- <laughs> Sony, and they've got TVs to sell, so they will do it. Uh, but will the rest of Hollywood get on board? I mean, remember back to Blu-ray and HD DVD, and the fighting and the wrangling that was going on over copy protection and so on. That's that's another big hot potato that we need to get out of the way. Um, before this is going to become mainstream. Um, and I'm surprised that that hasn't really been breaking news uh, so far in this whole thing. Um, I fear that's yet to come. If, if we don't hear something about this at CES, we're in trouble, I think. <laughs> you know, yes, if, if they don't fair. announce some kind of studio support for 4K at CES and ideally some kind of 4K delivery system in, in like possibly a 4K Blu-ray then I don't know I, I can't really see it being success because what's the incentive to buy it then? And this is a problem that obviously Sony, LG and Samsung are having at the moment with their 4K TVs they're just too bloody expensive but we spoke about this last week guys um, where LG brought their prices down to match Sony and Samsung, and a day after uh, LG did that, and we discussed it on the podcast, it was breaking news at the time, Sony turned around and knocked another grand off their TVs to make them even cheaper. Um, so if, in terms of consumers, this has to be a good thing, but with some caveats. Definitely uh, for the consumers, good news. I mean, I, I thought they were pretty cheap at four grand for a 55-inch, or oh, less than four grand for a 55-inch 4K TV, and, and now we're looking at we're near a three grand, and then that's the same kind of ballpark price you would pay for a 55, 60 inch flagship 1080p TV. So um, prices have dropped significantly faster than I ever thought they would. Uh, it's quite surprised me actually. I guess that means that either Sony is just very aggressive about pushing 4K, or they haven't sold very many TVs yet. And Mark, Sony could play a blinder here, couldn't they? Um, we're going to come on to the PS4 a little bit later. We're going to get more details about it uh, tomorrow at the time of this podcast recording. Um, but they could play a blinder with this, with the new PS4. Um, it's not something they've really discussed at the minute, but it could be a, a 4K platform. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things. It's very much in the air as with everything else with regards 4K. I, I don't think at the moment anyone's really placing 
any emphasis on it or even really looking at it expectantly. But I think long run, you know, in six, 12 months time, we'd expect to have something concrete about how they plan to deliver it. And of course, that, that comes back to Netflix, uh, which we did see, Steve, at CES last year. Um, they actually had a 4K demo running. Um, you're then looking at them, you're then looking at other providers like that. It could it could happen quite quickly. If, if one of them jumps, I, I, I suspect the rest will have to follow, basically. Yeah, well, I think if someone like Netflix were to start doing 4K, um, you know, streaming, that, that would be a game changer, really. I mean, Netflix are becoming more and more significant in that marketplace uh, in the last two years. I mean, their, their subscriber base is now, uh, I think, over 30 million. So it's it's really getting quite large, uh, you know, and they're producing their own content. Uh, and, and, you know, if they start moving into 4K delivery, then, then you start thinking, well, A, yes, I think other people will immediately start to follow them. Uh, particularly if it's successful, um, and, and you know they've got the kind of weight behind it to to really push it. So um, you know, I'll be very curious to see exactly what Netflix do do uh, over the next sort of six months to a year. Four K. There's only so much you can say about these. Fucking we don't know anything about it. It oh. could all fizzle out. Uh, it won't fizzle out, believe me. Once the consumer electronics uh, companies get their mindset on something and they start spending money on it, it you're going to get it. It will out, but there are numerous hurdles in their way. And if it's not orchestrated well, it could end up, should we say, not being quite the massive you know, um, snowball effect they want it to be. Yeah, totally. Totally agree with that. And uh, you, know, you just have to look back to how it was done properly with DVD everybody singing from the same song sheet and then look at HD DVD Blu-ray uh, just to see how just about any other format to be honest Phil. Well, well yeah <laughs> just, I, I was just thinking that yeah you got mini disc and you know yeah, the, the one thing though that I do wonder about with with regards to things like how it was with DVD which was if you remember back then there were so fewer there, there were a lot there didn't seem to be as many online retailers that people were willing to go to to buy something as large as say a television so you had far more things like Sony centers and Panasonic centers, and, and every single one had a TV set up, their best TV set up with a DVD player playing some kind of Pixar film or something like that. And that was how most people, it seemed, certainly the masses, actually got to know what it looked like and were massively impressed by that. But you just wonder whether the same thing will be true now with, with the, you know, the kind of retail sector shrinking the amount of specialist stores slowly dwindling as well, yeah. where the people will actually get to be able to see 4K. It's a bit like with you know Sky trying to advertise HD on TV with mm -hmm. a picture, and they're advertising it through an SD channel. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, that, a that's, point, that, actually, that's a really good point, and one of the big hurdles that they have to get across. Uh, yeah, go back to when DVD came about. The internet didn't really exist. You're talking 97 DVD came out, so you know there was very little internet use. I was back still then. ordering from play.com over the phone yeah you know and yeah. asking most places to send me a price list and <laughs> I, I that was, kind of thing i was still buying laserdisc because I, I i was like well dvd i'm not interested in that laserdisc a bit ago. <laughs> yeah that's what i said right <laughs> at the point where i actually saw one of them yeah an, an, anamorphic dvd on a widescreen tv and then yeah. within seconds of that i realized this was going to cost me a fortune <laughs> As it always does. Um, so, but, but Mark makes a super excellent point, Phil, because um, yeah, there aren't places where people can, can see this stuff, unfortunately, or there are fewer places than there used to be. And at least, though, I suppose with 4K, you can set it up and, and make and, and you know it, the, the difference can be apparent to the consumer. I think one of the big problems that 3D had was, and we can t testify to this, can't we, is that they were always really badly set up in, in the stores that were available. Um, people would look at them and think, oh, that looks rubbish and not be interested. 
Yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way. I mean, if Sky really, really suddenly want to make their 4K service known to people, they'll cut a deal with Weatherspoons or whoever. They'll park it in every every skanky pub in the land and all of a sudden that they you know they'll start to get the message across considering they tried doing that with 3d which as you say is a difficult sell enough when you're trying to do it to sort of three or four people let alone a pub full of them they, they've done they, there's they, there's precedent for them doing it before and to my mind it's an easier sell to do so they yeah they just need to get their act together and essentially subsidize it into into a couple of pub chains and i reckon that would do a lot of the donkey but, work but just they should be happy to wear glasses but just the skunky ones you said ed <laughs> only the skank, only the skank. <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about you, but my 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 nice pub doesn't have any tellies in it at all. Well, you, know. you said Weatherspoons here, but do Weatherspoons have TVs? They, de- they certainly don't have music. No, they don't have music. They do have TVs. At least both of them in Milton Keynes do. I don't know. I mean, they are all similarly pits of despair, but they have. Do they have customers? <laughs> <laughs> They've got people that prop up various work surfaces. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a fan of Weatherspoons. I, I, well, I'm sorry if that's rebellious. I just don't like the place. Uh, other bars are available, of course. Other bars are available. I can't remember the last time I was in a bar. I can't remember the last time I left the house. <laughs> well, um, we've had. Are you at... wearing a pair of tissue boxes on your feet and bottling your own urine, Howard? Not quite. It's getting there, though. Uh, probably just to plug the fact that we will be getting the new Samsung 4K TV in for review. Samsung. Of... Not Samson. Not Samson. Samson and Delilah. Samson. It's Samsung. Samsung. Yeah, that's not what you said. You said Samson. Samson. Samsung. Say THX. Thanks. Yeah, that arrives on the day this podcast goes up. So look out for a review of that quite soon. Yeah, cool. So that's uh, how many we've done now. That's four 4K displays we'll we've have, looked at. Yeah, we've done uh, yeah an LG, a Sony, a Samsung, and well, two Sony actually. Sorry, because we did the projector as well. Certainly moving in the right direction. Um, I have no doubt uh, when IFA comes around, uh, we're going to get bombarded with it again. Um, talking about high resolution, high resolution audio. Um, this is something Ed, which has never managed to penetrate the market. Well, if you're a nutter like me, you do have a small but, you know, noticeable collection of stuff. But you're absolutely right. As in terms of its market penetration to to sort of the rest of the world, sane people, it's been very limited. And part of the problem has been, excuse my French, the choices of music have been shite. Um Effectively, the world does not need yet another copy of Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. It arguably didn't need Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits in the first place. Um, so essentially, it's been a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's music that only it's it's dad rock that only a certain group of people will buy. It doesn't do very well. People don't feel compelled to put the effort in. Great news. I say great news. It's certainly news. Um, a French site with the curiously hard to pronounce name of Cobuzz. Kubuz, Q-O-B-U-Z. Um, they've been around for some years now, but um, until recently, if you tried to buy in the UK, it politely but firmly in French told you to poke off. Mo- more recently, they've now started selling much, admittedly not all, but much of their catalogue is now available to UK customers. And it includes stuff that people have actually heard of, uh, which is quite exciting. New Daft Punk album, Random Access Memories, is on there. Uh, I was just checking through before the podcast started. Uh, there's new album by The White Lies. 
The Rolling Stones live in Hyde Park. Absolutely. There's there's stuff that is A, new, B, being played on commercial radio, and C, we can discuss this in a moment, but from my perspective, it's priced semi-realistically. There's uh, we can we can discuss that there's clearly some way to go where you're paying less for the physical CD or something than you are for the virtual download, but they are making an effort. I've I've bought a couple of things off the site to experiment with it. The download manager, admittedly, it's all still in French, so you, you need to think back to your GCSE under these circumstances. But it's all pretty easy to follow. Their service is extremely good, and the downloaders work fantastically as well. Buying from them is painless, and you get instant gratification. Well, well as soon as you've downloaded it anyway, so on a reasonably fast line, um, yeah, you've got the album instantly ready to go. And it comes down to... This is, you know, someone's put it, someone's been putting in a fair amount of effort, and I, you know, I'm fascinated to see whether it's actually going to be warranted, sort of, be rewarded with any sort of sales response. You see, my my problem with this Ed is, is if they go more commercial, the problem is that more commercial um, mastering is it, it, it's it's not going to sound any different in high res uh, because they're mastering to certain frequencies uh, and almost capping it. Um, so it sounds good on the radio. It sounds good on an MP3 and and so on. This is something that's been happening over the years, and more and more and more studio masters are not what you would call studio masters, full range studio masters. This is where it gets slightly complex because a number of albums now are being recorded. Their actual original master is not clipped or recorded at eleven out of ten. Uh, there are two reasons for this. One certain bands are sort of semi-aware of there being the possibility to sell a higher quality copy to somebody and uh, the other one is ironically because um, the albums are still being released on vinyl and if you try and cut the vinyl on uh, in the sort of uh, edited for radio method the, the needle will physically jump out of the groove of the record so there is generally for a lot of a lot of new albums an uncompressed version in existence and that is largely where these high-res masters are coming from classic case in point was the last muse album uh second law which like all the other muse albums if you buy, bought the cd version was well pretty gopping um you know everything was right up at the top if you looked at the actual trace of it it was just a big white noise um but the high-res master and the vinyl came from an an unclipped example with dynamic range and they and they genuinely sound better i mean it's it's complex whether they sound better because they've simply put the effort in recording it rather than because it's high res but the end result is that you get a version of the album which doesn't sound like a bag of spanners when you play it on you know speakers larger than 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 a coffee mug I've got to say, as someone who always looks out for quality, um, this has passed me by so far. Uh, the whole music thing, I've, I've kind of um, taken a back seat personally in, in, in terms of music collection. I used to go out and buy loads of CDs every month and loads of DVDs and Blu-rays. And uh, I've got to say, over the past couple of years, um, I don't know if it's because um, of the work that I do <laughs> or not, but uh, really lost interest. Uh, in terms of collecting music and collecting, uh, even collecting films. You know, there's only the, the odd Blu-ray I'll go out and buy nowadays and everything else I'm catching up on TV or catching up on Netflix and so on. And when it comes to music, um, if I want music in the background, I've got Spotify playing. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. And I don't think that that's going to be a particularly unusual state of being for, for, for people listening to the podcast. But 
where it strikes me as interesting is that people are you know we know from the data that people are buying a shed load of mp3 albums on itunes and an almost as large a shed load in certain circumstances on amazon and it comes down to whether um there is a sweet spot in terms of internet speed, in terms of the ability to play the files, all sorts of slightly complex calculations as to whether there's a point where, you know, people go, well, hell, it costs X for the MP3 and X plus two quid for a file 10 times the size and quite a lot better. I'll go for that. You know, it, it comes down to uh, I'm a realist. I've, you know, this whole argument that the, the the public has suddenly stopped being interested in quality isn't true. A large proportion of people have never given given two hoots about it. It's simply that CD was also the most convenient as well as the best resolution format available. There wasn't people weren't buying it. You know, they weren't buying Wham albums on CD because you know they 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 felt that that was the best way to hear George Michael. It was just that was the most convenient way of doing it. And I'm just wondering, really, whether downloads are sort of converging. You know, my broadband is now at a point where I can download these sort of five six hundred meg um, flat downloads, and it takes what seven eight minutes, if that. And you know that's that's no time at all. It's certainly a damn sight quicker. Lucky, lucky. Well, fast. I know you live in you live in Dungy on the Wold or whatever. That's that's a, a you know your your issue, not mine. The broadband speeds are you know, however slowly they are going up, and it feeds into all sorts of other requirements we have for, for fast broadband. But ultimately, there's no compelling reason anymore that you have to buy compressed audio. And if the pricing is good enough, whether people would start buying bigger files i don't buy compressed audio i buy cds well yes i know but with respect you're, you're not Which you're is, not exactly pointed out, you, generally cheaper than than the mp3 downloads well there is that as well uh, and you get a physical backup as well yeah, and exactly. all sorts of other considerations but the booklet and that sort of i i hate cds i always have done it's never been a sound thing i just find them horrible plasticky things where i break the boxes without paying attention to it and it just i what find it got, like hulk hands or something yeah. Yeah. well i mean obviously we discovered not another one we discovered from last week that obviously, you know, as I don't find my iPad to be a burden, that obviously I, I may have upper body strength I didn't know I had. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, no, I, I've always I've always hated them, um, and that you know, being able to instantly get the album in CD quality, I'll, I'll, I'll sort my own backups. I've, I'm I'm loving it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. But you don't well, get yeah, any so, sort of artwork and that kind of thing. Well, now this is it varies. Uh, I mean, obviously, from an artwork perspective, I still buy vinyl. So if I want big pictures and lyrics I can read without a magnifying glass, that's my go-to location. But a lot of the downloads that I've I've purchased over the last month, sort of six months or so, they've come with multiple cover art bits. They've got inlay sleeves. They've got notes, release details. They've got they come with a lot of data, which I can actually read again without squinting at a tiny paper booklet in a, in a little plastic case. Right, let's move on. Let's wrap up on hardware. Uh, you already let the cat out of the bag uh, regarding the Samsung 4K TV, so that is coming up for review uh, this week. And what else is coming up, Steve? Mark is going to be reviewing a Roku streaming box, which is uh, very interesting because he just, he's just recently done the Now box, which was obviously built by Roku because it was identical looking. Um, and I reviewed the Apple TV box um, last year, I think it was, 
Um, and I think we'll be talking again about Roku a bit later on and Apple TV in the tech section. But yeah, he's going to be looking at that, which apparently, um, certainly from talking to him initially before he popped on holiday, which is why he's not on this podcast, um, sounds quite interesting. Uh, it sounds like, you know, it could be a really useful little um, little, little device for um, not just streaming uh, content from things like iPlayer, but also using things like um, Plex for streaming content from, from elsewhere in your um, network. So could be interesting that. I've okay. got something cool as well, it must be said. Obviously, I can't compete with the, the majesty of, uh, of, of another 4K television. But um, we've got a... It arrived over the weekend. It is a product from one of the uh, oldest names in American hi-fi, Macintosh, uh, a brand so old that, that another sort of company that uses the word Macintosh, even they didn't tangle with them on it in a legal sense. And um, it's the Macintosh D100. It's, their, it's essentially a DAC but it's a digital preamp as well. So it has a full set of volume controls, variable outputs. Um, it looks like other pieces of Macintosh equipment, which um, best described as gothic. That'll make more sense when you see the pictures of it. Um, early days at the moment, uh, and I'm not going to lie, it's £3,000, but obviously after the Datasat review, we're uh, living the high life. It is absolutely fabulous. And if you've got 10 minutes, you'll, you'll want to read the review because even though I have absolutely no need for it in my system, I'm still coveting it. It's a lovely, lovely thing. And the review will be up before the end of the week. Moving on, and uh, let's go to Games News. Uh, the Games Podcast was out last week. If you haven't had a listen yet, uh, go and download it. Um, but things tend to move on once a podcast is recorded, uh, usually a couple of hours after a podcast is recorded, uh, things change. Uh, so there are quite a few things uh, that have come out in the last week, Mark, to go through. Uh, first of all, the Xbox One, it will work without the Connect. Yes, uh, it was one of those things that people wondered about. Um, but as soon as they lost various different bits of functionality, that it was always likely to happen. But it was it was quite a surprise, simply because people had assumed that it was going to be integrated at a system level, that uh, it would be always on. And then when they stopped, when they decided that you could turn it off, then there was a question about, well, why is it even plugged in anymore? Would it still be listening for you to be able to turn it on again? without having to go into the settings and they said no so it wouldn't be listening so by for all intents and purposes they basically said that it would be unpluggable but now yes you can in fact just leave it in the box so it's now looking like you know a bit of a, a dead peripheral and it's it's surely going to have ram, ramifications for games development because once you assume that a certain amount of people aren't going to be taking it out of the box, a certain amount of people don't even want to use it from day one and they're not even going to be forced to try it so, so they would at least get the chance to be persuaded to keep it there um, then it's just got to be a matter of time before you see some kind of a another bundle come out, you know, six months or a year I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a version of the Xbox One £50 cheaper and without the Connect. You know, the one thing I'm getting from this story as it develops over the months do Microsoft have a clue what they're doing? No. Uh, is this the worst uh, launch in the history of the world? Because it seems like they've been doing one U-turn after another. You can, you can tell they're not a consumer electronics company. That is abundantly clear. They've, they've made every gaffe in the book going forward here. I mean, Sony have wiped the floor with them in terms of their launch of the PS4, haven't they? I mean, it's been absolutely slick from beginning to end. They haven't put a foot wrong. They've catered to the gaming community in, in a way they didn't with the PS3, 
Whereas Microsoft just seemed to be putting their foot in it at every opportunity. See, I don't even think that Sony have done that much slick. I think if you look at what Sony have done, what they've basically said is they've paid further lip service, similar to what Microsoft did about talking about multimedia. I mean, they had a whole segment at E3 saying about how they were going to join up, you know, with Sony Pictures and this, that and the other and going to deliver all of this new media to you in exciting ways. And basically, that doesn't mean anything. Those are all words. You haven't actually shown us how it's going to work. You know, and they've, they've stuck um, online multiplayer behind a paywall now. But yet even that kind of slides away simply because Microsoft don't seem to have hired anyone with a PR brain. I mean, sending anyone out to talk about a product before you even know what its features are or whether you're going to be charging your customers for to, to use secondhand games or anything just seems like absolute suicide. And it's, it's almost like they'd got to this point where they were accepted as a legitimate gaming company where the Xbox One people were still, you know, they were suspicious of them. The Xbox 360 gained somewhat close to parity with the PS3, depending on what sales figures you believe. But they were, you know, very much slugging it out with them, certainly in America. And that it's almost like they believed that they were kind of on that road to becoming, you know, an Apple or someone like that, that they, you know, people would see the slick presentation and say, no, I, I believe these guys. Whereas deep down underneath, everyone still thinks, I don't trust them. <laughs> and, they, and they just kind of shot themselves in the foot. It's that it's that sad fact of, of a company that kind of almost can't shake off its corporate image. You know, a, a guy walks out onto a stage and shows you something, you know, and it's got an Apple logo on it. No one questions about, well, who owns what's on it? No one really starts asking those questions. People look at the design. You know, Microsoft sent out, I mean, they released this ridiculous um design statement about how everything was designed in the Xbox One package with a 16 to 9 ratio. You know, the camera and everything and everything is, you know, tied together and even the box looks and you just think, who who hired these people? <laughs> who cares? Yeah. I think at it's a valid point, Mark, that Sony probably haven't been that slick or cool. They just haven't been Microsoft at this point. Yeah, it was the you know, classic. Just sit back and do nothing and let Microsoft cock, cock everything up. If you're worried about your weight, stand next to someone who's fatter than you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what they've done. That's and, why I like Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> By the same token, we're going to see what Sony are doing with regards to release date. Uh, Gamescom, they're going to be announcing this tomorrow, which will be yesterday if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Um, so we should see exactly when the PS4 will be hitting shelves. Um, the Toys R Us kind of very much dodgy date slated in for December the 13th. I uh, I still think that's looking like it'll be a little bit late. Um, I'm still of the... Well, I think the rumour now is 21st of October, apparently, which is... I know, that was what I was saying, yeah, last month about the whole pre-order thing. Was it just because they'd had a huge amount of pre-orders or are they looking to release a little bit earlier? I mean, it does kind of tie in with the fact that I think the the PS2 was released in October. I think that was about 26th, 21st or 26th um, in the US. And so they they are... with design, they've kind of tied the PS4 to the PS2. It's kind of that idea of going back to the heyday, the high point of, of everything. So, you know, it would be a, a fairly safe bet, I'd say. If if somebody asked me which one, you know, I had a choice on one of these, I'd be going with PS4 just because, I, I, I just because yeah. of, you know, all the uncertainty... Uh, about the Xbox One. I mean, does anybody actually know what the specs are? They did an unboxing, did they not, Mark? And that that threw up even more questions than it did answers. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the the trouble is, is that, again, it's back to that idea of Microsoft are just really bad at trying to throw this subterfuge and try and distract people. I mean, during the the unveiling and at the unveiling or at E3 where they said it had whatever, however many you know, billion transistors. And it's a completely pointless stat. It means absolutely nothing to anyone, you know, because they're, they're clearly when someone tries to cover up the specs, they're usually on the kind of losing end of any battle there. But ultimately, you know, we're still going to see the vast majority of games released multi-platform. So it doesn't really make that much difference. Ed, you've been very quiet. Well, I mean, as you know, Phil, I, I looked at both of those consoles in depth and then just bought a Pram instead. But um, by by origin, I've only ever owned the original. I never owned an Xbox 360. I only ever owned the original one. Um, I've, I've had all, all of the PlayStations. Uh, so simply in terms of... Uh, unthinking brand loyalty i naturally sway towards the ps4 but um i, I don't know the the whole massively online multiplayer business has apparently passed me by completely um it, there's i'm in no rush to buy either but if i suddenly found myself looking at it i i'd probably end up going for the playstation this is my is my gut gut reaction on that um i think i mean also i don't think either of them are particularly great looking but the i think the playstation is a marginally more aesthetically pleasing piece of kit as well the way things are going i really wish i'd ordered both of them on day one rather than just the ps4 because then i could flog the xbox one and use the money from that on ebay to pay for the <laughs> ps4 the way things are looking you know, in terms of you know microsoft now announcing not going to release in certain european countries before the end of the year clearly both manufacturers might have issues with supply well, if there's one thing we've learned across all of these consoles, going back to certainly the PS2 and probably earlier than that, is that if you buy one of these consoles from the first six months of production, you are mental. I don't mean to be derogatory to people with actual mental health issues, but it's the same thing. You are profoundly wrong in the head because they will go wrong. I mean, those early PS3s, I've made sandwiches with yeah. greater longevity than some of those. I've, I've, and and I've, the Xbox 360 has hardly been a paragon of reliability either. And the early ones were catastrophic. I've got an early US one, PS3, <laughs> sitting under the TV. It's never been switched on in five, four years, five years. Uh, those are actually uh, they were massively over spec machines. Oh no, the, they're, they're, the, the surviving noise. ones are, are <laughs> worth quite a lot of money. The, the SACD cable ones with the four USB ports and yeah, the yeah, yeah. backwards compatibility they still fetch quite strong money. If you yeah, have find a working one, I've got two of them, and neither of them the Blu-ray drive has gone in both. Right, <laughs> and I, I think also they removed the SACD compatibility yeah, as well. So, yes, so yeah. that was well. That's because some bright spark figured out a way to actually rip. DSD off SACDs using them. Oh, that's who I get to blame then. Supposed to be impossible. They also had a PS2 built into it, didn't they, originally? And that was removed as yeah, well. Yeah, they were backwards compatible. Well, I think out of them, as, as a home cinema fan, not as a gamer, I think the PS4 just it, it seems to offer just a little bit more. And yeah, the that, potential is there for it. The only thing I would say, there might be some 4K going on in there somewhere. Yeah, the only thing I would say is that I, I, you know, I wouldn't put it past Microsoft to spend significant money trying to push the whole multimedia angle. I wouldn't be surprised if they tie up a lot of exclusive deals. You know, we've seen kind of what happens with Netflix and the like, and you know, various different providers. I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. They want people in that interface. They want people kind of consuming through their front end. And the fact yeah. is that Sony have, have marketed 
theirs as a games machine. Oh, and it also does these other things. Microsoft set their stall out from day one saying, we want you to listen to music to this. We want to be able to recommend you, you know, what what album you download through us, you know, what movie you rent through us. And so they've got to be tying up some kind of exclusive deals. Well, we were going to talk about it in the uh, movie section, but I guess this is a good time as any to talk about the fact that Microsoft have announced they're going to be fun- financing a, a remake of Blake 7, which... Um, so you're dead right. You're, I mean, okay, maybe. I'm quite excited about that <laughs> because I was a fan of Lake 7. It's yeah, a strange I, thing I lo- to, I love- to remake, I admit, but Mark's point is spot on, which is they are obviously planning to create exclusive content in order to help push their platform. I, I just think Blake 7 is amazing simply because every single part of it says this program was made on a budget of £11. That's one of the reasons it's as brilliant as Unless Microsoft commit to saying, well, we're only going to do it using special effects we learned on Blue Peter. It's not It's not going to be the same program, is it? Yeah, It would be brilliant if they did that, though. I think it would be fabulous. They I could at least have good money to watch it. it cardboard sets. They could at least have Blake in it, though. That would be a good start. <laughs> because well, I think for two out of the four seasons, he wasn't even in the show. <laughs> yeah, I imagine Serverland's getting on a bit these days. and all With a short haircut, though, it was kind of quite saucy. Stern, but saucy in a, in a strange way. But yes, you are absolutely right, Mark. It would seem that's exactly what they're planning on doing. Well, it's not the, the Halo thing with... Uh, Steven Spielberg already. Yeah, they've been talking about yeah. a Halo film for years. It never happened. Peter Jackson was going to do it at one Yeah, point. but at, at the launch, they said they were going to do a TV series. Yeah, uh, a, there is a TV movie, isn't there? It's on Netflix, actually. <laughs> a Halo yeah, TV movie. Yeah, they're going to do the, the TV series, and it's, you know, linking in. It's a nice name to throw in Steven Spielberg, but no one really knows exactly how much of an input he's going to have. But again, it comes back to that idea of now that both the big console manufacturers are going to have paywalls there they're looking for more value you know the sony with ps plus have been offering lots and lots of free games and microsoft have kind of followed suit with gold and they're just looking at different ways to try and get you to pay that subscription to to make that you know 40 pound a year if they offer you enough content maybe the you know you'd start looking at a bit more i see in the the us they've tied in nfl um, if if they were to do that in the UK with with the Premier League, they would they would really cash in then, wouldn't they? Yeah, if they if, if they found the money to do that, then you know they certainly would be onto a winner. But I don't know exactly what the the NFL deal is in America. I know they were talking about exclusive content. You know they they weren't they weren't really specifying exactly what it was. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the the demonstrations were showing, well, you can, you know, check your fantasy league team and things like that. You know, it was very much additional things rather than saying that we're going to offer you, you know, the kind of meat in the sandwich, so to speak. Yeah, because in the US, NFL games, they're they're on network TV. And I imagine there'll be an absolute uproar in the States if they had to start paying Sony or someone like that, you know, to see their football matches on a Monday night. Uh, It's not like here where we've all been screwed over by Sky. And when will he need to like louse the slaughter? Um, I think that, that would be a bit tougher so on the States. Shall I put the red flag up, Steve? Call, mm. call our comrades to the barricades. <laughs> Ultimately, you know, um, I think with uh, the, the football and sky deserve each other. I say that as someone yeah, no, I was a bit of concern. for the weekend and, I, and I've absolutely hated it. Every second of it, I despise the Premiership. And not just because QPR got relegated last year, I've always despised the Premiership and everything it stands for and everything it's done to English football. So, yeah. Achievement unlocked. Uh. <laughs> 
uh, interesting news story from last week, and I can't help laughing at this one. I really shouldn't laugh, being professional, but um, LG did a launch in South Korea, Steve, and it kind of went wrong. Yeah, I, I think you're right. We shouldn't <laughs> laugh. It's not really funny, but but it is quite funny, to be honest. <laughs> You know, I think any kind of press launch, don't invite crowds of people with pointed sharp sticks and BB guns because someone's going to get hurt. I think they were. I don't think they invited the people with those. I think that no, no, was no. improvisation. Well, they, were, they had uh, they had vouchers on helium balloons, uh, sort of tied on string, presumably at a certain height, and people had to come in and and if they could puncture the balloon and get the voucher, they got a free LG mobile phone. So, of course, people being, you know, being inventive turned up with you know, knives on the ends of sticks and BB guns. And needless to say, 20 people got injured and I think seven of them were hospitalised. Uh, obviously, LG did, did offer to pay for their legal, their legal, did offer to pay for their medical bills. But um, maybe there will be some legal bills too, actually, come think about it. Um, but uh, yeah, as, as launches go, not the best. I what I loved know. was the line where they said that they've called off the other events. <laughs> Makes you wonder what they were doing there. <laughs> the ones with machine guns and yeah. tanks, presumably. Oh, I'd love well, to. Well, on the border, I'd... the demilitarised zone in the minefield. Go I look forward to, obviously, as a, as a Korean brand, I look forward to Samsung up, upping the game <laughs> and, and re, reintroducing the Thunderdome for the release of their next one. That would be fantastic. Although I suppose they did get plenty of PR, maybe not good PR, but we've all heard There's about it. There's no such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unless you physically kill people. <laughs> I've not heard of the phone beforehand, so therefore, you know, it's worked. Yeah, that is, that is very true. <laughs> I'd have paid to have seen that. Wrapping up this month's podcast, let's go to movie news. And Steve, what's at the cinema? Well, actually, this, this week we have two films, both with... Uh, number two in the title and both based upon graphic novels the first of which is kick-ass 2 or sorry kick-ass 2 not kick-ass um kick-ass 2 which is obviously a sequel to kick-ass um which was out back in 2010 i know phil you were a big fan of the original film weren't you yeah and then i saw the trailers for this one and then i read kazi's review and i will be avoiding it yeah um i loved kick-ass I, I thought it was a great movie it was it was directed by matthew vaughan and written by jane goldman who's the wife of jonathan ross it was a great film. It was based upon a comic book, a graphic novel by Mark Miller. And, uh, you know, it was satirical. It was subversive. Uh, it kind of subverted the whole um, superhero genre. But it was done in a very playful way. It was violent, but it was kind of violence in, in a comic comic book over the top way. It, was, it, didn't, it, it, it wasn't really offensive, even though it was full of violence and strong language. And you had Hit Girl using various four-letter words. You know, it was all done in such a way that it was, it was, it was genuinely fun. And, and, and you, you weren't actually offended by it. You just found it entertaining. And, and it was, I thought it was a really great movie. Sadly, um, the makers of Kick-Ass Kick 2... Uh, although Matthew Vaughan is listed as a producer, as is Jane Goldman, um, they weren't really involved in making this film. It is still based upon Mark Miller's uh, second graphic novel, Kick-Ass 2, which was originally titled Kick-Ass 2, Balls to the Wall, which would have been a much better title, I think. Um, sadly, the, the filmmakers have really missed the point. Um, they, they seem to feel that, you know, what was good about Kick-Ass was the swearing and the violence. Whereas in actual fact, it, it was the it was the subversion and the satirical humour that made it great. So, you know, so this this film you know, has lots of violence. Uh, I don't agree with Kaz. Kaz seemed to think it wasn't that violent. I actually thought it was very violent in a gratuitous and nasty way, uh, as opposed to being funny and entertaining. Uh, it was also, um, you know, it, 
it tonally, it was all over the place. I mean, there's a sequence where a, one of the characters tries to rape another character and can't get it up. And this is meant to be funny in some way. There is nothing funny about rape. And I, I'm, it's pretty hard to offend me. I actually found that genuinely offensive. Uh, I thought the film just had no idea what its tone was. It, it wanted to be serious at some points and funny at the other, others. It just missed the mark at every opportunity. Uh, it was a very, very disappointing um, sequel to what I thought was actually a genuinely good film. Also, I mean, the big star of it this time around, last time obviously would have been Nicolas Cage. This time it's Jim Carrey, who is actually hardly in the film. Um, he's in it surprisingly, um, he has a surprisingly little amount of screen time considering that uh, first of all he's you know one of the top build stars and also made a big fuss in the press before the film's release about the level of violence and how he you know was against it now post post um some of the events that have happened in the states recently um and i think maybe he was against it because it's not a very good film but uh unfortunately it's a missed opportunity and it's a real shame um because because it could it, you know it could have been it could have been a fun movie but they just got it got it completely wrong in terms of it particularly in terms of its tone i think uh, it just tried to be offensive and shock you, and instead it just became. You know, I mean, calling the the character of Chris D'Amico, who, who played Red Mist in in uh, in, in Kickass, become tries to become a supervillain in um, in in the sequel, and so you have to use the bleep in the second uh, film. But you know, he calls himself the mother as if that's supposed to be in any way clever or funny. It's yeah. just it's stupid and slightly pathetic, really. Um, so yeah, big disappointment with Kickass. Uh, so Kaz gave it a six out of ten. What about you, Steve? He's being generous there. I'd have given it a four. Okay, cool. Uh, so moving on, two guns. Uh, two guns, though. Massive surprise here. Again, I didn't know much about the film. I, mean, I knew Mark Wahlberg and Denzel Washington were in it. I'd seen the trailer. Unfortunately, I had seen the trailer. If you haven't seen the trailer, but you want to see this film, don't see the trailer. It's got four or five decent plot twists in the first half an hour all of which are given away in the trailer, which really pissed me off, actually, because I really enjoyed the movie and I wish I'd gone into it cold, not knowing anything at all and having not seen the trailer. Um, again, I, said it, I didn't realise it was based on a graphic novel until I was watching the credits at the end where it mentioned it, but it is apparently based on a graphic novel. It stars Denzel Washington and um, Mark Wahlberg. Now, Denzel Washington's always class in whatever he does, even when it's a dodgy movie. Uh, this is actually a, a really, really fun movie. Uh, it definitely kind of pays homage to those kind of mismatched uh, buddy movies of the, of the 80s and 90s. You know, you've got a black and a white character. There's a lot of... Um, quite jokey repartee. It's very funny in places. The action scenes are really well done. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was quite surprised. I didn't expect much, to be honest. Um, actually found it to be a genuinely enjoyable movie. It's got a, a great... Uh, there's some really good plot twists in the first half an hour, especially if you haven't seen the trailer, oh, you know, really do make you think, oh, I wonder where this is going then. Um, there's a couple of more plot, late, plot twists later on in the film that are... Um, a bit more obvious. You, you kind of think, okay, I think that's going to happen. But overall, it had, it had a really good plot, um, great performances, um, quite charming. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of Mark Wahlberg, particularly if he's headlining a movie, but actually he played off Does Washington very well in this. The Both of them are really funny. There's some really good dialogue. There's a good supporting cast. You've got Bill Paxton playing the most unlikely of CIA agents, um, but he's great value. Edward J. Zolmos is in it too, who's really good. Uh, so good cast, uh, Great fun, really good action scenes, very funny in places. Uh, I'd actually strongly recommend um, recommend Two Guns. And if I was giving it a score, I'd probably give it 8 out of 10. Now, you sure it wasn't Bill Pullman or Bill Paxton? Always get them confused. Bill Paxton, as in Terminator, Aliens, you know, Hudson, that kind of thing. Not Independence Day. Not the guy from Independence Day. 
That has to be the best screen speech ever. Well, Independence Day. Independence Day. That is just... It's not just an American holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the staple comedy uh, things in the 80s, guys, was, was the buddy comedy, you know, the buddy cops. We had The Heat recently, Steve, that you reviewed. Uh, Two Guns, which is a bit more serious. Uh, are we seeing a revival of the buddy movie? Well, we'll know it'll be a proper revival when we see a remake of Turner and Hoochville. Well, weren't there two of those anyway? Was, there was also K-9 with, with Jim Belushi and a dog. Yeah, I know, but they both came out quite sequentially time-wise. Yeah, well, if we saw a 21st yeah, century take on the one man and his police dog theme, we'll know that the buddy movie is... No, no, no. What we need well, is a Sandra, remake Sandra, of the Whoopi Sandra. Goldberg vehicle um, um, where she was partnered with a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Sister Anne. <laughs> no, 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 I've heard like Theodore, of this. I it was know, called I... Theodore Rex. It was called Theodore Rex. <laughs> I kid you not, I'm not making this up. She's 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 a cop and she's partnered with a T-Rex cop. <laughs> in it, a bloke in a suit, obviously. Um, <laughs> I don't know what they were taking when they thought that one up. But <laughs> Have you actually seen it? <laughs> no, I don't think anyone. Have you seen it? No, no, no. This is the thing. I was about, I was about to literally explode in excitement that someone had actually seen the film. I know the film exists. I just have. I've never met another human being which has apparently lived through seeing all of it. So, um, you know, because uh, I was, I was fascinated by the premise of it. But yeah. I'd love to see it actually, just uh, just to see how bad it actually is. What's it called? Theodore Rex. Bet you it's on Amazon. That's got to be the ultimate mismatched couple. I'm just looking to see if it's on time. Netflix. <laughs> It's, it's I mean, one star on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, that's one star too many, I suspect. There are n- no new ideas left in, in filmmaking. No. But the good news is, Steve, that I found you a copy of Theodore Rex on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the uh, if you look at the notes, I've, I've emailed you the link. Um, it's only going to cost you two dollars and twenty seven cents. Bargain, <laughs> right? I'm, you know I'm going to buy that, watch it, and then I'll send it over to you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, think- sorry, Steve, I've just noticed there's only three copies of Theodore Rex left in stock. There's only three left in the world, hopefully. <laughs> they burned think- all the rest. Well, no, I, I, Whoopi I, Goldberg has spent 20 years trying to buy them all up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like between her and George Lucas going around trying to destroy every single copy of the, Chris, the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> and that's like his mission in life. Which is readily I didn't built- realise it was as recent as 2003. I'd, I'd, I'd long assumed it, it was old. I thought it was a 90s movie. Is it that recent? Well, it, it, it may have been that they, they decided that they were waiting <laughs> for a really it. slow month <laughs> to release it on DVD. But, um. Do you think now that Disney have got Lucasfilm, they might actually release the, the Star Wars holiday special? Uh, have you I, ever seen it? I don't think you'll ever see that. Yeah, it's, it's readily available on YouTube. It's, it's on YouTube, yeah. It is, it, is, it is without doubt one of the most surreal thing, experiences it's I've one, ever one had. It's like, it's like it must have been made on acid. That is the <laughs> only explanation for that, for that entire well, thing. Well, I mean, it's, I it, it happened so quickly after the film, and I think they just didn't realise what they had with, with, with well, the film. You I don't know, know, I, I CBS don't... obviously were just, uh, on, must have been on drugs. There's no, that's the only sane explanation <laughs> when you meet what they Chewie's created. Family. <laughs> well, it's like there's a bit where Chewie's, um, Chewie's dad or granddad it's got, I think, called Itchy or something like that. He's watching <laughs> Diane Carroll singing on a video thing, and basically, it's a washing. I, I mean, that's the only way I can describe it. I mean, it's just utter. There's a bit where some guy's doing cooking, a robot with multiple arms is showing how to cook stuff. I mean, it's utterly surreal. It has to be seen once, but only the once, because I don't think. Does, does Carrie Fisher not time. sing in it? 
if I remember right. Carrie, yeah, Carrie Fisher yeah, sings, life, sings uh... life Day to the theme of Star Wars. Um, it, honestly, it, it, uh, Mark, Fish, Mark Hamill, who was obviously shot this after his accident when he went through a windscreen of his car, has got so much makeup on his face that you, you, he's got more slap on than, than, than you know Elizabeth Taylor at her worst. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> it, it's, it is an absolute car wreck. And like the best car wrecks, you can't take your eyes off it, even though Pun intended. five of your being is screaming to turn it off. Pun intended there, Steve. Car wreck. Uh, Hamill. Oh God! Yeah, sorry, I didn't think, I didn't think. I'm sorry, Mark. If you're listening, you, you I apologise. You are on fire this evening. <laughs> but it, it it is utterly and it, yeah, and it, I guess watching it, you realise just how bad Star Wars could have been if Lucas had made you know made the odd wrong decision here and there. It could have utterly bollocks it up because this is an example of just how cheesy it could have been uh, with somebody else um, doing it. Getting uh, back to Theodore Rex, I'm just looking at this review. That you've just posted, Ed. Watching this film sober and even under the influence is like giving birth out of your ear while simultaneously having a stroke, getting a root canal, walking in on your parents having sex in your bed, and that you walk in on them, you step on a rake, and it hits you in the face <laughs> and drives a splinter into your eye. They had, they had me giving birth through my ear. I'm going to buy it. Yet at the same time, it triggers a visceral masochistic response somewhere deep inside, and you can't help but take pleasure in every mind-numbing attempt at a joke, every sudden idiotic plot twist, and every glimpse of Whoopi Goldberg's gross (laughs) (laughs) A real treat. As the editor of this site, I am compelling you to go and buy that and review it now. <laughs> Apparently, Whoopi Goldberg was forced to make the film in a lawsuit. <laughs> do you think they? Do you think they did? They came up with the most ridiculous idea possible as a punishment to make. Not only make you do a film, we're going to make well, you do the worst film in the history of the world. <laughs> isn't that the story that that there was a Fantastic Four movie made for television, and it's it's no, it, 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 it had to be made. To, to in order to, to to hold on to the um uh, hold yeah, on to the actual they, franchise there's a name for those kind of things i can't forget what there's actually a special name that they give to these films that are made purely to retain the rights they're never meant yeah. to actually be brought shown in any way shape or form unfortunately no one told the actors that's what they were doing yeah <laughs> so these poor sods shot this film learned all the dialogue and everything performed in it but there was never any intention to release it because it was just done to retain the uh, you know the, the actual rights to the to the property in the same way that there was a Nick Fury movie starring David Hasselhoff. No, that did get released. That wasn't bad. Actually, that, <laughs> it was written by David Goyer. Words. It was written by David Goyer, and, and he doesn't know his stuff. So, I mean, he obviously had, they had a limited budget, and they, yeah, and they had Hasselhoff playing Nick Fury. But given what they had to work with, I, I actually think that David Goyer did a pretty good job on that. Fantastic. Sorry, I'm still, I'm still recovering from that review. <laughs> I'm going to read that. I'm deliberately not looking at it right now because otherwise I'm going to crack up. What's weirder, the dinosaur or Whoopi Goldberg? Um, yeah, if just partnered her with a guy, it would have been strange. Yeah, or, or the dinosaur by itself. But there's something about the two together that almost sounds like genius. The future's toughest cop is Katie Coltrane. I 
I'm back. And now, she's getting a new partner. Hit me. It's a dinosaur. You two solved this case together. What? What? It's a dinosaur. I love the way that we started with the best of the world trying to talk about buddy movies. And we wound up talking about, what not only the possibly the worst buddy movie of all time, but very possibly one of the worst films of all, of all time. <laughs> I don't know. We haven't seen it. Let's not judge. Yeah. <laughs> I think it deserves judgment. a review. We should we should start looking we should start looking and looking out for really really bad films we can plug on the podcast. Buy up all the copies, give them good reviews, <laughs> and then we sit and wait. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there is no plans for a Blu-ray release, Steve. So, um, uh, what a surprise! <laughs> and there's also no plans for a sequel. <laughs> I don't know. We, we were talking about the implosion in Hollywood. Come 2016, where they've got no money, a man in a dinosaur suit. <laughs> it's going to be, um, yeah, it's going to be the sort of thing they construct. Like, I, I, still, I still don't get the title Theodore Rex. What does that mean? Ah, uh, well, now you see, I don't mean to sound like a smart ass T- here. But T-Rex. It's bio- biography, or uh, T-Rex, but it's also the biography of Theodore Roosevelt was called Theodore Rex. Which is why one of the reviews on Amazon <laughs> starts um, yeah, well, excellent adaptation a- of the Edmund Morris book, turning Edmund Morris's 500-plus page book on the presidency of Theodore Roosevelt <laughs> into a 90-minute feature film, which surely Herculean task, but the makes of Theodore <laughs> Rose to the occasion. I couldn't make a word of that, Ed, but it's still funny. It's just- <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I can top that review, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> But again, that sounds brilliant. I mean, they've clearly thought it through. I, I don't know about you. I take a, a, a genuine pleasure in things which are just so awful. They go out the other end and they're amazing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think that there's definite scope to, to, to bring this film to the attention of a wider audience. Well, in that case, Ed, you, the first thing you should do after we finish this podcast is to watch the Star Wars holiday special on YouTube. <laughs> I watched it years and years ago. But, it has um, to be seen. It has to be seen just the once, uh, just to understand how wrong something can possibly be. <laughs> they just missed the mark. They missed the galaxy. You know. <laughs> well, you know. I, I'm just sorry. Another brilliant Theodore X fact has just popped into view. It cost $33 million to make. Who knew the dino suits were that expensive? And that's about when $33 million was actually quite a bit of money. Yeah. <laughs> the wonderful tribute to the life and accomplishments of our 26th president <laughs> <laughs> oh dear uh, right i do look forward to the review of it steve and and don't don't spend too long talking about the picture <laughs> start a petition for a blu-ray release <laughs> A full restoration in 4K resolution, that's what I want. <laughs> with a commentary by Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> oh, Whoopi Goldberg with a gun to her head. <laughs> Talk about the film, Whoopi. What was your motivation in this scene then, other than the fact you had to do it? <laughs> so was it just a guy in a suit then? Obliged. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 we, we need Steve to order it and watch it so that we can we can unpick many mysteries oh. of this film. See, it'd be great if it, it turned out that it was David Prowse. My mum used to go out with David Prowse <laughs> years ago, before I was ever... I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> I 
just loved the way that he was upset that they dubbed his voice. <laughs> Somehow, Dave, I don't think Darth Vader would have been quite so scary with a West Country accent. <laughs> You're a part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor now. Take her away. Look both ways when crossing the road. <laughs> Faster with you, strong with you, young Skywalker, but you're not a Jedi yet, are you, my liver? <laughs> Waiting for the MC to come back online as you stop laughing, yeah. <laughs> I've just shown found some photographs at the theatre. <laughs> yeah. Is it a realistic portrayal of a T-Rex? <laughs> Is he, doesn't he wear a trench coat and a hat? <laughs> oh, and I, I honestly yeah. think, I'm not making that up, I think he wears like a port pie hat or something and a trench coat. Like, like, like it's Ogar. not a bad it's dinosaur, like, actually. Like I tell you what, it, it looks like. Do you remember the the TV series Dinosaurs, which yes. was like about a family of dinosaurs? Which I don't know if you remember had the bleakest ending of of anything except. Owls. What was the ending? Oh, they 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 he screwed up at work, and they were. It was either a, a, something happened, and they all just all died in an ice age, and I, none of that is an exaggeration. They literally in the last episode all died in an ice age. So at least it was realistic, yeah. though, in terms of, you know, historical. Well, granted, but um, <laughs> considering it was like prime time sort of aimed at children, I thought that was a little bit harsh. Like, in the same way that Alf was kidnapped by the government and never given back. Was he? Yeah. Is that how well, Alf ends? Well, there was supposed to be another season where they resolved it, but as it was, he just got <laughs> carted away and dissected. <laughs> it looks like a good dinosaur, though. There's a great shot here of the dinosaur giving Whoopi Goldberg a red rose. <laughs> the thing is, is that half the images that you get back are all about Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> Jonathan R. Betuel retired from directing after the film. <laughs> Presumably, <laughs> he didn't have a lot of choice. That's sort of retiring where, like, mm, yes, everyone encourages you to. Uh... William Boyett's final film. Presumably, he died of shame. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg made a verbal agreement to star in the film in 1993 when she tried to back out. Producer Richard Gilbert Abramson sued her for 20 million. The suit was settled very quickly when Goldberg agreed to star for 7 million. That's where most of the budget went then. 2 million more than the original agreement. I don't know. There's in a what mil- universe is Whoopi Goldberg worth 7 million dollars? Back in I... 95, back in 95, is that like 20 this million? This would have now? been like 60, uh, kind of. Around Sister Act, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and uh, Made in America or whatever that was. You know, she was box office. I've just seen a shot where he's in a sling at the end and he's clearly got a medal, so. Right, okay, I think we've got enough there. I can... can (laughs) Yeah, good luck on that one, Phil. I can can make some sense out of that, I think. No, you were a magician. (laughs) And uh, that wraps up the AV Forums podcast for this week. Uh, don't forget, we are back every Wednesday with the latest news uh, in tech, movies, and then we go off on a tangent somewhere completely different. Uh, but we will be back again next Wednesday. I'll just have to thank Mark Botwright. This is getting better by the minute. Steve Withers. If it bleeds, we can kill it. And Ed Selly. I ain't got time to bleed. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at avforums and facebook.com forward slash avforums. Why not like us? You can also bookmark avforums.com for the latest movies, for the latest... For the... <laughs> for the latest Theodore Rex news. <laughs> Chris will do a 10,000 word review. Yeah, yeah he will. <laughs> Dissertation. Don't tempt him, he will. 
Oh, you know the score by now. Latest reviews, news, video of Theodore Rex. And uh, why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show and you made it to the end. Uh, I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. <laughs>